Welcome to Karate Kid Minute. My name is Robin. I'm Matt. And we are here for our last Cobra Kai bonus episode, for now at least. Um, and we have a very special guest with us. We uh, Joining us today is producer slash writer Bob Dearden. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I agree, I am a very special guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm so excited because, uh, you know, our listeners to Karate Kid Minute uh, might not know this, but I used to help run a podcast called the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph, and you uh, used to frequent that podcast, uh, giving all sorts of deets about uh, iZombie. So uh, I'm so excited to have you talk to us about Cobra Kai. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to. What a, what a fun convergence of events. Right. <laughs> Robin says you were on that one like six times. He couldn't get rid of you. That's true. Uh, basically, it was my podcast and Robin <laughs> on it every once in a while. Um, and uh, it was it was the first uh, show I worked on and the first podcast I ever got invited to. Um, almost the only one. I think I've done one or two others <laughs> since then. But uh, it was always my pleasure. And um my only regret is I didn't talk more shit about the other writers during those appearances. So uh, I'll make up for that now if I can. Well, actually, one of my first questions, uh, you know, the, uh, is there anybody from the iZombie writers room that you'd love to see kind of play in the Cobra Kai slash Miyagi verse? No, I'm done with all of them. I never want to see them again. Um, you, know, the, you know, who's a huge fan, though, is uh, Diane Ruggiero Wright, who is the co-creator of iZombie. Um, and the person who actually, I guess, introduced me to Cobra Kai, like I knew it was out back in the first couple seasons when it was on YouTube, but, uh, I was actually at his house the first time I, I watched it because he insisted was Rob Thomas. Uh, and then Rob wow. made the introduction that got me the job on Cobra Kai. So there's an iZombie connection. Um, and Diane, uh, I think would be fantastic because like Daniel LaRusso, she grew up in New Jersey and uh, and has that kind of you know way about, or maybe more like um, like Daniel was in the movie than mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the series. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I think she'd be great. I mean, anyone that worked on iZombie, I think you know, got used to the the sort of in between tone of, of merging pretty absurd comedy and and um, you know some pretty heavy dramatic moments. So I think that will be great, with uh, at least three exceptions that I won't name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they gotta they gotta insert some more Jersey uh, Jerseyisms into Daniel next season. <laughs> oh yeah, are you from there as well? No, <laughs> but, that's, but I mean, that's from Canada. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Canada, but it's a it's a big part of his uh, backstory, and uh, yeah, it doesn't come up much. Well, you get a bit of Louis, um, or you get that's a bit true. of Louis with Louis, um, and there's a little. I'm more so glad they brought him back. Uh, he's great, and and there's a little more of him in season four as well, so that should be fun. Sweet. Before I forget, though, Matt, where, whereabouts in Canada are you from? Uh, New Brunswick. Oh, nice. I went to school at Acadia in, in Wolfville, just across the bay. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've been there once, I think. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. But <laughs> that's a little off topic, so now that we got that settled. <laughs> are you guys uh, going to compare tooks next? Or, uh... Yeah. <laughs> How many tooks do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, that was, that was definitely one of my questions was, uh, you know, how did you end up, uh, kind of scoring, not only writing, 
uh, position, but uh, producing uh, Cobra Kai. Well, just to clarify, the producer title is a little bit in name only. Like it, it's one of the rungs on the, the sort of writer Writers Guild ladder. Um, and I think it must have had a meaning way back when, as did all the other titles. Like it, when you start, you're a staff writer. That one's sort of self-explanatory. And then they mm-hmm. call it story editor, which doesn't really apply because I didn't do any more or less editing of story when I was in that position versus before or after. Um, and producing, like, you know, I guess when you're a writer on a TV show, there's elements of, of producing that sort of vary depending on how each show is, is shot and structured. But um, it, it's not like I'm holding two jobs. Uh, I'm, I'm just one of the writers on staff. So, um, But the way that came about, as I touched on before, was that uh, I'd gone over to Rob's house to watch a, uh, I think it was a Spurs game. And you know, he had up on his, like on his smart TV screen, the things he'd recently watched and Cobra Kai was up there. And, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it first or, or he did, you know, just asking if I'd seen it, but I'd certainly heard good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't subscribe to YouTube red or YouTube premium at the time. So I, I hadn't seen it yet. And he said, Oh, well, we have to watch the first episode. And so we did. And then, uh, I was into it from, I mean, from the opening moments and it, it really the the drive that johnny takes um the the sort of drunken drive he takes through the valley uh <laughs> where the you know the headlights flip up on his firebird that just keeled me over i was like this is the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> and <laughs> uh, here in canada we didn't we didn't have youtube red when it came out so i had to buy each uh episode individually with money <laughs> Was it was it on iTunes or something? It, no, it was still on YouTube, but there was no YouTube Red. There's no subscription service, so it was like a la carte for the episodes. Gotcha. Yeah, but it was well worth it. I've watched. I've taken people through this show like six times now, like six <laughs> different people. So I'm I'm right. on my sixth one right now. I should really have done it all in one group, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you got your money's worth anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I just, I, I fell in love with it and we watched, I think, five episodes because he wanted to make sure I saw the, the, uh, the cafeteria fight Yeah. Uh, before we, you know, called it quits for the day. And then I went home and, and subscribed and, uh, uh, season two was just about to come out. I think it was like two weeks away. So I got to kind of watch them back to back. And then Rob just happened to have a bit of a relationship with the showrunners and uh, was out to dinner with him one night and asked if they were looking for a like a mid-level staff writer for season three. Uh, iZombie had just ended, so he knew I was looking for work and, and you know, knew how much I loved the show. Uh, and the guys were like, yeah, actually, we are. And then so we interviewed and, um, you know, I, I'd never really interviewed for a staffing job before because iZombie was uh, pre-existing relationships were in place already. Um, so I went in pretty nervous and, and just really didn't want to get my hopes up. And at the end of the interview, they said, is there anything else you want to know? And I said, well, I want to know everything that happens in season three, but I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> and they were like, well, you're going to have to spoil it if you, you know, if you start working with us. And I was like, I, I really hope that happens. I just don't want to count my chickens. <laughs> um, and then, you know, luckily it, it happened and they hired me and, uh, and then, yeah, two seasons later, I'm, I guess uh, you know part of the family now in, in a way. That's so great. I'm so and and, and I'm so happy for you uh, and and uh, how amazing it is that uh, 
it suddenly got this boost to Netflix and now everybody's seen it. It's uh, it's so it's so awesome. I'm very I'm so happy for you. Speaking of Netflix, was it kind of like a was there some scary moments, you know, before it got picked up by Netflix? Um, I can't speak for everyone else involved, but um, the impression I always had was that it was a bit of a no brainer, especially timing wise, because, um, you know, things had shut down. Like basically YouTube was still, you know, the the. Um, the parent company, I guess, uh, when we were shooting season three and then Mm -hmm. once it was all shot and edited and ready to go, that's when they said we're not really in the scripted game anymore. And so we had this show like this full season of a show with, you know, something of a foundation audience already built in Mm -hmm. that was ready to go. And, uh, it just seemed like, you know, cause everything else was shutting down that it would be inevitable that somebody would pick it up. Um, so I don't know anything about like the negotiations with different, you know, other different platforms or whatever, but, um, for me, it always felt like a matter of time. It did drag on a little bit and I was kind of surprised at that. Like I thought it would be pretty quick, Yeah. Uh, but when it finally went to Netflix, then it was just like, well, this is a pretty great landing spot because, you know, everyone I know has, uh, has Netflix and it's such a bingeable show. Um, So that that felt like, again, this this is going to be a bit of a slam dunk. I was maybe a little surprised at just how big of a splash that it made. But um, I always felt like it was, you know, such a good show for the two seasons before, you know, I was a part of it that uh, as soon as that launched and everyone else discovered it, it would take off. And then my only real worry was what if season three doesn't go well, then I'll be, you know, one of the new people that the, the blame falls on, like one of the new <laughs> variables in play as to, as to why it fell off, but it didn't. Um, and people seem to like it too. So that was, that was nice. I, I, I was uh, noting actually that you are pretty much uh, involved in the two biggest episodes of season three. Uh, and, and just, I was just wondering how, how is the new guy in the room? How did that happen? How did, how did you, uh, uh, get pulled into um, taking care of Miyagi Do and and the season finale. Uh, it was mostly by accident. Um, there was some bribes and and one uh, piece of blackmail, but mostly by accident. <laughs> and, uh, they they basically like kind of pre-assigned each episode just before we started breaking that episode. So um, the initial plan was that the showrunners were going to write, uh, I think it was episode one, episode five and episode 10. And, uh, and they told me as we were breaking episode five, that, um, I, I'd be assigned episode six. So once we started breaking that episode, you know, I was, uh, kind of starting on the outline and things like that. And they just got bogged down with like the, the three showrunners are ridiculously busy. Mm-hmm. Um, not just with Cobra Kai, which, you know, by midway through the writer's room process that year, they were already in pre-production and, you know, talking to everybody in Atlanta, um, in terms of getting ready to shoot that season, but they also have a bunch of other projects on the go all the time. And so they just decided that they would, um, just write the, the opener and the finale and leave, um, episode five for the staff. And since I was kind of like next in the order, they said, do you want to do five instead of six? And I said, I, I will <laughs> do whatever you want me to do. Um, and it did end up being a bit of a bigger episode. And I think that's, you know, typically their intention is to have uh, every episode five of every season be a sort of a mid-season finale or like a, you know, kind of a hinge point for the overall arc. Um, 
so that was cool because you know it, it uh, obviously had some Karate Kid Part Two nostalgia and, and the yeah. whole Okinawa was pretty special. I thought so. Uh, I, I learned a lot about Okinawa uh, <laughs> through internet research during that period, but um, in general, it was just you know still just happy to be there. So whatever whatever they threw at me, I was I was happy to get. Um, and the finale kind of came about the same way. Uh, I mean, I think they were pleased enough with my um, my writer's draft of episode five that they felt confident I could deliver on episode 10. But it was another situation where the intention was that they were going to write it. And then all of the other things on their plate just proved to be excessive. Um, but having said all that, I, sh- I should mention that uh, you know, as with most TV shows, it, it's never a solo process. You're obviously breaking the story together. Uh, and then there's extensive sort of reworking and rewriting all the way down the line thereafter. So it's not like I, you know, created those episodes out of thin air in a vacuum or anything like that. It was, it was very much of a, uh, a collective effort and, and the showrunners certainly, you know, did a lot of rebreaking and, and, uh, and just sort of, um, polishing i guess is the word of of all of our scripts um so episode 10 is still very much theirs uh, episode five you know um same thing uh every episode of the season is really uh, of the series i should say is really you know the the whole thing starts and ends with the vision of those three guys mm. and and how i mean i'm just wondering uh, you know william zapka and ralph macho are like the faces of this show uh so how big of a part do they actually play in crafting where the season goes does that kind of get run by them or do they come in to kind of talk about what their ideas were uh, i'm sure they do more than i'm aware of with the showrunners and mm-hmm. um you know we hear a little, like some of that trickles down to us and, and i'm sure they have input and have had in, input since uh you know since the show you know was originated um we got to meet them each once when you know back in the before times when we were actually <laughs> meeting in the writer's room in person uh they both came by on separate occasions for lunch uh one day as did uh, martin cove and then they kind of hung out in the room for a bit and chatted with us about their characters and just about the show in general uh so that was very cool just to get to meet these guys that i you know like all of us had had, had watched way back when when that movie was yeah. out um, and so, you know, I, I would imagine that they have a, a fair amount of input, but, um, I'm just not privy to all of those behind the scenes, upper level conversations at, at, in my position. Uh, were, were you actually able to go to the set at all, uh, for any of the filming? Uh, not in this case. No, they, yeah. um, the first couple of years, well, let me back it up. I mean, we shoot in Atlanta. Um, and we also shoot, uh, the entire season gets shot after the writer's room is already wrapped. And so that's a bit of a different, um, way of going about things than a lot of shows, including iZombie. Like on iZombie, we were, uh, writing concurrently with production. I mean, we had a bit of a head start every year, but a month or a month and a half in, um, you know, the whole factory was humming and, um, the writers got to go up and visit set during their episodes, but, you know, even that one, because it was in Vancouver, it just wasn't feasible for us to be up there for the whole time. It was, you know, we had a, a producer on set. Um, in the case of Cobra Kai, uh, you know, the showrunners go up and there's a couple other writers that go up as well. And they just sort of serve as the writers on set for writers, producers on set for every episode. Um, in the first two seasons, they did uh, a few days, I guess, of shooting in L.A. just to get, you know, some some valley exteriors and that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the writers, you know, were invited then to, to go hang out and check things out, uh, which I would have done um, in, in season three as well. But I'm not sure if they went to L.A. at all to shoot. I think the budget for that was switched over to the Okinawa stuff because they actually did go to Okinawa and shoot a bit there, which um, is more than they did for the movie, as I understand it. I think the movie was yeah. all why. But uh, but they actually went to Okinawa for some of the episode four and five stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, but but had the uh, the side effect of kind of blowing the budget for the LA stuff. And mm. then there, um, uh, there's a possibility that uh, there may be some LA stuff or an opportunity even to go to Atlanta for a couple of days just to just to visit. But with COVID and all that, I, I'm not really sure where that stands. I mean, I, I know they're shooting right now, and I know there's. Uh, you know, a whole set of protocols being followed. Um, I just don't know if it's worth anyone's effort to uh, to have writers come visit. Um, you know, given the the situation the world is in at the moment. Yeah. Right. Speaking of bu- speaking of budget, though, uh, that makes me think. Uh, now that you're on Netflix, is there a, like a significant increase in budget? Do you know? Uh, I believe not. Um, oh, really? I'm, I'm not positive, and I don't. You know, I don't get invited to the uh, business affairs conversation yeah. <laughs> uh, nor would i want to but um uh, i think it's a, a pretty similar budget to uh what they had on youtube i think where the netflix sort of advantage if you will comes in more than anything is just the accessibility and the you know the sort of advertising of just like you know the in-house stuff like everyone's on netflix all the time and mm-hmm. if the algorithm has anything close to Cobra Kai and in, in what you've previously watched, you're going to see it somewhere on your screen. So mm. that's a huge bump as far as just like awareness. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think we're roughly around the same budget. Um, but I, you know, don't take that as gospel. Yeah. Well, How long- I mean, they made it work before, so I'm confident yeah. do it again. <laughs> I am too, but I will say like every time characters get added, you know, the, the, um, the the whole thing just starts to fill to the brim right and, and when you add in you know some of the stuff in season three was super ambitious with like the vietnam flashbacks mm. going to okinawa adding some of these you know characters from the movies um and just having you know some more massive fights uh it, it feels like every year you just have to push the envelope a little bit more and um i'm sure they're uh, you know, doing somersaults and backflips to to figure that out all out this year because they must be just bursting at the seams budget wise, right? Yeah. Um, so, how long into uh, crafting uh, the episode Miyagi Do was there actually a plan to shoot in Okinawa? Was that the plan to begin with, and then you crafted the story around it? You know, they everybody crafted the story around it, or or was it like, oh, this is making sense. We should go to Okinawa and and shoot there. Uh, as I recall, the the intention, you know, like when you come into a, a staff, um, typically the showrunners will have a lot of stuff mapped out before you even get there. Yeah. Um, and then, you you know, you work together to kind of um, connect the dots. And in this case, as I recall, the idea of Daniel going to Okinawa was was kind of there before we started. It was something the guys, you know, had on their I can't believe I'm going to use this phrase, but uh, had on their vision board going into. <laughs> um, and so I don't remember exactly, um, you know, how much they had figured out as to why he was going to go and what the outcome was going to be. 
but certainly the idea of, of reconnecting to his relationship with Mr. Miyagi and to the events of Karate Kid 2 was was kind of there from the get-go. Um, and then uh, the question of where to shoot it, I think, was always just a, an ongoing discussion, you know, with production as, as far as what they could afford. Um, I remember in the room we were talking about, like, are we gonna are we gonna pretend Atlanta is Okinawa, which you know, a lot of scenes were shot in Atlanta. Um, and then there was Hawaii was brought up as well, and I think it, probably a couple other options that I just don't remember. Um, and I, I heard after the fact that they had actually locked down the idea of going to Okinawa, and I think they went with a, a pretty small crew, um, you know, with just the the relevant actors. And then uh, I think one of the three showrunners um, went with them, but the other two stayed home. Like that's how sort of stretched thin it all was. But yeah, I'm glad they did it because some of those shots are are gorgeous and oh, yeah. gave you the feel of like being back there. Even though the last time we were there, in air quotes, we were actually in Hawaii. For- <laughs> yeah, and and it would, you wouldn't have been, you know you wouldn't hold it against them if they decided to just go ahead and shoot it again in Hawaii because you're still kind of recapturing <laughs> what it was like in the sequel. Right. Um, it, um, so kind of getting into uh, the plot elements of of Miyagi-Do, um, it's I just think it's interesting to compare. Daniel's rivalry with Johnny to Daniel's rivalry with chosen like Johnny kind of still holds on to this anger about the time he got kicked in the face <laughs> to and, and losing Allie uh, to, you know, chosen who uh, now he's saying that he feels deep shame and regret. Um, so my question is like, how important was it to you and, and to the other writers to redeem chosen? Um, I think the, the series as a whole, you know, has that undercurrent of redemption running through it. And so it, it always feels like at the very least, like even with Crease's backstory and in, um, in three uh, in season three, you, you don't necessarily feel that he is redeemed in the present, but mm-hmm. you just get an understanding of, you know, why he became the way he became. Um, and, and I think that's kind of a underlying goal for like, you know, every major character that we, you know, give a storyline to. Um, and you even see it, you know, sort of in a, in a, a present full scale tense with the, the kids where you're, you, you know, you think of someone like Hawk who starts out as such a sympathetic character uh, and then goes the other way and then, you know, kind of veers back again. So you see it happening in real time with them. Whereas with um, the characters from the movies, it's, you know, we're filling in backstory of 35 years Um and I, honestly, I don't remember the the full discussion about where to take Chosen, but I think the, um, uh, you know, the consensus, at least in the end, was that the most interesting way to, interesting way to go with him was to give him some self-reflection and self-awareness. Um, because that, you know, the, as you know, the movie's villains sort of get more arch as you go on in the series. and. Yeah. And certainly he was a step up from Johnny um, and, and a bit more of a, I guess Johnny was sort of like classic, like high school bully of that era of movies and chosen always felt to me like more of a classic, like Van Damme movie villain. Um, and so, you know, you, you, we could have gone, I guess, in, in kind of the direction that he's still that guy and, and gotten a lot of juice out of the, 
the you know increased sort of nemesis conflict with Daniel, but it just felt more interesting, I think, to to have him live a little more in the real world where he he's come right. to realize just how absurd his behavior was back then. Uh, I was, you know, there was, I, I wasn't sure if there's like any alternate uh, takes you guys had of chosen. Like, you know, many people theorized right when Cobra Kai started out, like, okay, here's Johnny, but where's chosen? Where's Terry Silver at this point? And like coming up with like uh, alternate ways of, uh, of looking at the character, like uh, I, Yakuza, I, I, Yakuza <laughs> was, was some sort of organized crime family just because he, you know, honor was such a huge thing to him. And he had he fa- he faced such utter humiliation, and then ended up trying to like kill <laughs> Daniel and Gumiko. You would have thought that maybe he would have gone, you know, into into the into a life of crime almost. You know. Well, it's not an unreasonable um, theory or assumption, um, and and yeah, I, I I think people would have felt that had we gone that direction, I think people would have felt um, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That it's like the kind of guy he was, but. Uh, I think in our minds, the, and again, like I, I just, re- I really don't remember the full discussion. So I don't yeah. know if it, this is something that the showrunners, um, you know, had cemented in their minds beforehand, or if we kind of, you know, went back and forth and came to a consensus eventually. But um, I think the idea was that uh, he had a, a, a faulty understanding of honor. Um, right. You're, you're right in that it was very important to him, but I think the experience with Daniel um and the uh, the monsoon, of course, um, right. which may have been more pivotal for him. Uh, it it all kind of added up to having to take a good long look in the mirror and and realize that uh, you know maybe he wasn't act. Maybe, maybe honor wasn't. Um, maybe he didn't understand what what honor needed to be. Um, and, and because of what happened in that movie, eventually came back around to you know a better place. <laughs> So Daniel actually tells uh, Chosen that it sounds like you're master of your domain. Does does Daniel remember what that actually means? <laughs> I'll tell you, that was a uh, a rewritten line. Um, so I wasn't aware of it until I thought. And I, I very much had the same question. I'm not sure if that was meant to be a, um, uh, you know, like a fully aware joke or just a, an accidental play on words. <laughs> that he didn't quite realize what he was referring to. But um, I, I did, I did enjoy the idea that uh, Daniel uh, in fumbling for any way to connect with chosen uh, went with 90 sitcoms <laughs> yeah. or callbacks. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the monsoon, uh, this, this episode brings back the actual actress who played the bell ringer girl. Uh, and then she helps uh, save, LaRusso Otto. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, again, this is like, do you remember two seasons ago, but <laughs> was there like a plan in place? Like, did you guys nail down that actress and go, okay, this is awesome. We'll bring Yuna in. Or uh, were you considering if you couldn't track down the actress, um, then you'd still use that character? Um, as far as Yuna goes, I, I don't know. Um yeah. I'm not sure if they, uh, I didn't even know actually until you said that, that it was the same actor. Uh, (laughs) So I I, I don't know if they, you know, were researching as we were talking about it or just because she was so young, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a big worry as to whether or not, like if, if it turned out that that was the only 
acting she had ever done and she was out of the business, uh, you know, decades ago and, and had no interest, it wouldn't have been hard to just, you know, cast whoever um, because, you know, the, the kid was so young when you right. first are that it's not like anyone would recognize or not recognize her anyway. Um, but I think they knew, um, I, I don't off the top of my head know the name of the actress who plays Kumiko. I apologize, but I think they knew that she was still working pretty steadily, um, you know, as well as the actor who played chosen. And so there was, there was not a whole lot of concern there as far as like whether or not they could pull it off. I think it, I think, and and again, not privy to these discussions, but I think Mm -hmm. it always comes down to uh, more of a question of like, whether you can convince them to do it. Um, And I think in in most cases, the actors, at least from the interviews I've heard, they all have fond memories of of being in those movies. And so, you know, and and knowing that Cobra Kai is uh, appreciated as it is, they're they're sort of happy to, to get the invite. But, um, you know, people have other jobs and, and sometimes don't, I would imagine want to be associated with something they did 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know that that was ever the case with any of the actors that, um, you know, have been on our show. I just imagine that's kind of a, a general sort of, uh, you know, concern when you're looking at, uh, such a well-known franchise, um, from so long ago, uh, and talking about bringing so-and-so back in the abstract before you've, you know, got them committed so I, I'm glad that Chosen and Kumiko were, you know, willing because uh, I think people would have definitely noticed a recast in those two parts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I've heard the creators say that whenever possible, they want the original actor to play them. But I don't think I've heard whether they said that would stop them from using a character if, if the original actor declined. Yeah. Uh, uh, Allie's mother was played by a different actress. So Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, crossing my fingers for what is it michael ian griffith or thomas ian griffith thomas ian griffith <laughs> <laughs> apparently he's retired from acting but we'll have to wait and see <laughs> <laughs> that was a quick answer <laughs> um so okay so the move that chosen teaches uh daniel uh, uh we called it the paralyzer on our podcast um did did is that based on any any sort of uh martial art yeah, I actually invented that and have used it uh, several times so I can <laughs> verify its uh, effect. Um, kind of like if, if you uh, you know are like me and don't have a whole lot of background in the martial arts, you just go online and try to research what's real and what's not, and you know that can that can be a fun little YouTube rabbit hole where you you get on these videos where it's like clearly bullshit, where a guy's barely touched somebody and. You know, it looks like a bad wrestling cell or whatever, where the, like the the victim does three backflips um, <laughs> off of you know getting breathed on by some supposed master. Um, but there is some, uh, I don't know if it's you know legitimate might be a stretch, but there's definitely some you know semi believable uh, information out there about pressure points. Now, I don't know that you could actually do what Chosen did and, and get the same result, but there are certainly you know, parts of your body where, uh, you know, forgive me, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know the biology, but, uh, you know, where, where the muscle meets the nerve meets the tendon in a certain way. And if you hit it hard, not hard enough, I mean, we've all had a Charlie horse or, a, right. you know, um, banged your elbow in a way that makes it tingle or whatever. So there's some, there, there's some foundation of, of realism there, but there's also always a consideration. I think whenever you're, you're writing anything, um, of, 
you know, there's, there's what's realistic for like you and me. And then there's what's believable within the rules of the world. And I think in the rules of our world, uh, there's, there's an effort made to make the, the karate, you know, pretty realistic and, and adhering to traditional foundations, but obviously there are liberties taken. Um, you know, in the movie, the, the most famous move is the crane kick, which as I understand it, uh, and again, not a martial arts expert, I'm just going by what I've read. Um, but it's complete bullshit. And, uh, you know, I think most people with or without a martial arts background could have guessed that. So, we have license, I think, to extend the, um, you know, the the bounds of reality to a certain extent because you know we we've recalibrated them a, a little bit on the show and in the movies already. Um, but I as mean, far- it is the universe where Miyagi claps his hands and rubs them and uses magic healing. So, <laughs> right, and, and you know, interestingly, on the show, uh, Daniel does not. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bit of lost knowledge. Maybe there's a scroll for that. Hopefully, hopefully down the road, Daniel will find that scroll and uh, and somehow the magical warm hands will come back into play. But, you know, you can see there's there is a little bit of a shift in the show in terms of especially when you compare it to like uh, the sequels of The Karate Kid, where it, it shifts, I think, a little more toward um, something that's grounded in our reality. But uh, to get back to your original question after my rambling answer, I don't believe those moves are are you know, moves that any real martial artist would tell you uh, could be effective in an actual fight. Like I said, we, we, we kind of called it the paralyzer on the show. And I, I was, I, I, I wasn't sure if you guys were kind of uh, struck with the irony of Daniel learning how to temporarily paralyze somebody while Miguel was recovering from uh, per- paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it, we thought about it more like it was a, um, a very brief numbing, and rendering of a limb useless as opposed to uh, full paralysis. So there, there may be a slight difference in our interpretation there. Um, but we, we certainly weren't trying to, uh, uh, you know, take a dig at Miguel or anything like that. It was just a, a happy coincidence, I guess. Some people were convinced that Daniel was going to use those moves to reverse the paralysis. That, 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 that's probably me. <laughs> I was just going to ask who, who was convinced of that? <laughs> well, that would start a fight between Johnny and Daniel. Of course, you know, he's Daniel suddenly he, like Johnny catches Daniel, like hitting Miguel. He's like, I'm trying to help him. <laughs> so I, just, I love the image of, you know, Miguel in that, um, baby sling or whatever it was. Uh, while Daniel is, is just hammering away at his limbs, hoping that they'll come back to life. <laughs> All right. Well, this is this is the point where I have to ask you uh, about Miguel, and you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing how you answer. Like, what exactly was wrong with Miguel? <laughs> Robin, what surgery would, did he get? It would take me so long and be so over your head to explain the real medical condition that he had. That I think it's probably just best if we assume that it was bad, uh, and then it got better. <laughs> In, in three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the, that's the common uh, recovery time for uh, bad spine, which is the <laughs> medical term. Bad spine is what he had. Maybe it was psychosomatic. Yeah. yeah we were a bit of that too, for sure. We were definitely theorizing, like, it, you know, the way Johnny was trying to, you know, make Miguel better. Uh, it, it almost seemed like it, we Johnny was convinced it was all in his head. And he just had to, he had to get it, get him to start walking without him noticing. And then he'd start walking again. 
Well, as you recall, Johnny uh, did some research on Webbund and and found out all he needed to know to uh, you know properly address the situation. It, the real uh, you know idiot medically was that uh, Braden therapist guy. He didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Johnny was the one who did the deep dive and read the medical textbooks and and really understood the condition of bad spine. That's why he ultimately had the answers. <laughs> bad spine. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Johnny even has a list uh, of other ways he's going to try with uh, electroshock, hypnosis, acupuncture, Tony Robbins, and LSD. Were those alternate ideas of something Johnny might do to get Miguel moving again? And th- that get just tossed aside. <laughs> uh, not that I recall. And, and uh, I always hesitate to, um, give myself credit for something because I really don't remember um, <laughs> anything that happens in the room uh, even a week later, let alone, you know, 18 months later. But uh, I'm pretty sure I just made that up when I was writing it because it amused me. Um, and because it was, you know, just a, a quick shot of a list on paper, it wasn't anything that uh, necessarily needed to be more specific than what it was. Um, I but think you got to know people are going to pause that. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I think LSD is probably the most viable option of them. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, we just didn't have time to go in that direction. But down the road, knowing that Johnny has a bit of a predilection for the psychedelics, uh, you know, could be a fun avenue to explore in season nine. (laughs) Yeah, I would would definitely like to see like a a long, strange trip uh, starring Johnny, uh, Miguel and Homeless Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just on the road or in the desert maybe <laughs> yeah like fear and loathing but yeah. yes can't stop here it's back country <laughs> <laughs> so uh so in this episode also the miyagi does go on the offense against cobra kai's uh and uh i just wanted to note that it's really hilarious that uh Mitch brings warm bee, warm beer, warm bee, warm beer. And uh, uh, this set of Cobras is actually grossed out by the fact that. He... Yeah, <laughs> and... I, I have to admit, um, first of all, that was not my my idea. That was something that uh, I don't know who it came from, but after the fact. And <laughs> that was a, I didn't realize when I first watched it. I was like, I don't get this joke. Why? Like, have we established that Mitch is, you know, dumb? Or, like, what are we doing? here? <laughs> um, I didn't realize that that's what. um was it was it Tommy or Bobby who says that? It was Tommy. Yeah, Tommy. I I've watched that movie like since I got hired on this job. You know, in addition to all the times I watched it when I was growing up, I've watched that movie like twenty times, and I've never picked up on that moment. So, <laughs> kudos to whoever you know planted that Easter egg because it, it certainly went over my head. But uh, and Mitch, Mitch, I mean, if you're gonna pick a guy to bring warm beer, it should be Mitch. <laughs> right. Just goes to show any any little thing from the movie can be used. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, people will notice. The showrunners are, are on record, I think, um, as the like number one, two, and three all-time Karate Kid fans, um, and that goes across you know the entire franchise all the way up to Hilary Swank. So, mm-hmm. uh, if anyone's gonna you know have the the smallest moment to to mine and bring back into Cobra Kai, it's gonna be them. Mm-hmm. And and I think the final question I wanted to ask about Miyagi, though, in general, uh, is uh, the big moment. Uh, I mean, during one of Kreese's famous sayings, uh, uh, he gets a slap in the face uh, from Amanda. And 
I was wondering, uh, it, it seemed like this season, uh, the writer's room might have wanted to like really give uh, Amanda some uh, great moments this season. Yeah, I mean, um, again, I can't speak for, you know, what the discussions were from character to character in the first two seasons, but um, she was, you know, sort of my, I don't know if I want to say my favorite character because I, I really like them all, but mm-hmm. she had such a unique role in the first two seasons and such a necessary role, I thought, um, in terms of like being the one person who calls everyone out on how stupid their karate grudge match is. Um, <laughs> And, and Courtney, the actress, uh, just, you know, delivers all of those sort of one-liners and, um, I don't want to say insults that might be a bit strong, but you know, the, these moments where she's calling them out are just so perfectly delivered that, uh, you know, at least for me, and I'm sure, you know, for most of the writers and the showrunners, it, it's always, um, you're, you're always kind of getting pulled in the direction of like, I want, I want to hear Amanda's take. Like the more absurd things get, you know, like when they're tango and cashing in 302, yeah. you, want, you want Amanda to call. Um, you want to hear her reaction to that, her side of that. Um, I think it, it kind of helps ground the show in, in a, a bit more believability than it, it has at times. Um, and, and she's just such a, a wonderful actor for that role, I think. So uh, I was really happy. Like, uh, like I said, I wasn't assigned that episode until after it was broken. So I, I didn't come up with that or anything, but uh, I was very happy to get to write their, their first face-to-face interaction. Uh, and I will say my, my version, crease, crease got a, went, went a bit further over the line. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I thought uh, to, to my mind, I, I thought crease would say some, um, pretty sort of misogynistic and offensive things to her. And, and I think rightfully the, the showrunners decided that was maybe a bit too far and let's just keep it about the kids. Yeah. Uh, but either way, the delivery of that slap uh, was just so emphatic and, and gave me such joy when I saw it. Um, so I'm glad my, even though I, I didn't come up with it, that my name is somehow attached to it. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely, uh, I mean, when the big trailer came out for the whole season, uh, that was one of the moments that had everybody uh, excited, you know, that one Yeah, slap. we couldn't wait to see the context of that scene. <laughs> I, I will say, I want to take credit again for something that um, I, may be, I may be wrong about, but let's just say it was me. Uh, I feel like I did come up with the slap happening in the middle of his, I like that, I like yeah. that. <laughs> So that that little contribution, um, I want to I want to take as my own. I may be completely lying and, and stealing somebody else's thunder right now, but uh, it's just between us. So who cares? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what that's what makes it even greater is the fact that he starts in that that you know run of lines, and you're like, okay, here he goes with this again. I like that. I like that. But all of a sudden, bam! <laughs> it's very yeah. surprising. Yeah, and like I said, the the delivery, like the way it was framed, everything about it was just so fantastic, I thought. Robin, you, you, you skipped a question that you had in your list. I want to go back to it because I agree with this with this Please sentiment. Go. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh so you, you had here uh, Robbie finally fights back against Sean. Uh, please put him in Cobra Kai next season. <laughs> he, <laughs> he and Robbie came to an understanding by the end, so uh him inviting him to Cobra Guy makes sense. And and Cobra Kai, you know, with all the students that left, they need some some heavy hitters. Sean's great. I, I 
don't disagree with anything that you just said. I will neither <laughs> confirm nor deny uh, <laughs> continued involvement in season four, but that's another, um, you know, performance that I, I was pretty blown away by. Like he is a guy that makes you scared for Robbie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just has such a great physical presence. So I was yeah, he's just you, really big. <laughs> yeah. Well, compared to Robbie, at least I don't know how. Yeah. And, and just plain intimidating. I mean, this whole franchise is just, there's a whole lot of bully characters and I think he fits right in yeah. <laughs> with all them. Him and Kyler. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I love Kyler. Uh, <laughs> Kyler and Brooks um, are, are, if we could have our choice of like, uh, which characters to spin off? That might be who I go. <laughs> what would you do with a Kyler and Brooks spinoff? <laughs> I'd I mean, like I to hear this. Kyler and Brooks in college, and I think they would uh, they would get kicked out of college in the beginning, but through a series of clerical errors, they would still just live in the dorms and uh, you know and try to live the college life without having to go to class. <laughs> just skinny dips and bong rips all day <laughs> yeah <laughs> subscribed <laughs> uh all right so getting into the uh season finale uh this really felt like two episodes i mean maybe even three so what made you decide to title it uh december 19th does it take place on that date or is that kind of a secret point to the stands easter egg that says season four is going to be out on december 19th <laughs> uh, well you're in the neighborhood and also another you know element wasn't um me and i i don't remember who who came up with that title but uh it does take place on december 19th okay which is another uh date from karate kid lore well of course yeah <laughs> um and so that was the, that was the idea like this is um you know because the tournament's been moved to may i guess now um, in modern times, but uh, it was a nod to when the first All Valley took place, and just the the sort of um, I don't know the symmetry I guess of uh, this moment, especially with Ali coming back into the picture, happening you know at the moment where uh, I guess from a certain perspective you could say that Daniel once and for all won her away from Johnny in the movie. Right. Yeah. And really, you know, it, now in Cobra Kai on December 19th, uh, 2018, I guess, uh, that's yeah. the date that uh, uh, Allie crane kicked both uh, Johnny and da- Daniel into <laughs> dropping at least the tension over over her in particular, I, I, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was the coolest thing um, to have Elizabeth Shue back in the in the mix. And obviously it was teased at the end of season two. Um, and I, I told the guys when I interviewed with them that, uh, that was the thing I wanted to ask about, um, but didn't want to know the answer to, <laughs> as, as I understand it, it was, you know, sort of touch and go throughout, like, as we were breaking it, we always just broke it as like, we're going to get her, but you know, she's on the boys and, and she's obviously got other things going on. And, and so, you know, deals had to be made, um, to secure her participation. But meanwhile, we were... Uh, before that happened, we were still just writing in the most optimistic direction that, um, you know, she was, it was going to work out and she was going to return. Um, and I, I, I've never been more jealous of anyone than when, uh, Luan Thomas, who's one of the writers who's been around since season one, mm-hmm. sent me a photo of the two of them on set arm in arm. 
I, as I told the guys and as I uh, mentioned in the room, I'm sure multiple times, like that was my pubescent dream girl, you know, that was <laughs> adventures in babysitting and karate kid uh, and then cocktail just as I was like, you know, coming uh, into adolescence. <laughs> yep. There, there was no one on the planet I could have imagined being more in love with. So uh, it was very cool to, you know, again, be able to participate in, in the writing of an episode where she returned to that character and just have my name kind of associated with it. Um, yeah. Of course, just to see the, the performance she delivered, which I thought was so, you know, pitch perfect. I think you're owed a phone call from her, like just, you know, <laughs> to call you up and be like, thanks a lot for uh, your part in, in making this episode. <laughs> Well, let her know that and let me know what she says. <laughs> I think you have more of a chance of talking to Elizabeth Shue than we do. <laughs> uh, you so, so, so if she had if she had declined, would it have been like a mad dash to rewrite the last couple episodes? Or I'm sure it would have been. I mean, I think the the showrunners, you know, were in conversation with her from whenever, from like the end of season two or, or thereabouts. So. Uh, you know, I think there was a feeling that um, whatever wrinkles there might have been, they could iron them out. Uh, I don't I don't imagine a world in which they would have recast her. So, yes, I think it would have been a scramble to figure out another version of, you know, what is it that gets Johnny and Daniel back to the place we want them going into season uh, four. Right. Yeah. I wonder right. what else could have done that. Yeah. What, have, could, what could have brought them together? I mean, it's the answer. I feel like for the big questions is always the kids. So I yeah. like it would have landed somewhere in there, and to a certain extent, it was right. I mean, it, it was a lot of things, and and certainly Allie was a huge part of that. But um, ultimately, what prevented Daniel from com- committing karate murder was the kids showing. <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that uh, they had a, a pretty huge part in the dojo merge that, um, you know, that ends the season. So, mm-hmm. oh, God, uh, so I've got so many questions about this episode. Um, so right up front, I, mean, I always thought that Daniel and Johnny making peace over Allie and then merging their dojos. I, like I could see that as a thing that was going to happen, but I definitely thought of it as an end of series story. <laughs> right. What made you guys, you guys think this is what we're going to do at the end of season three, knowing that there are more seasons uh, that, that are being planned. Well, it's another thing that I don't know if I can answer specifically, but just to give you a, you know, kind of an abstract idea, I think there's always a, an ongoing discussion and, and sort of a concern about, you know, not wanting to repeat ourselves. Um, and when I was just watching uh, the first two seasons, there were a couple moments, and I, I think I even said this in the room to the guys at, at one point, but there were a couple moments where I, I got a tiny bit frustrated that, you know, like, can't these guys just get it together? Clearly, what's keeping them apart at this point is, you know, just a misunderstanding or a series of misunderstandings. And I, I think they did such a great job of um, making us want that reconciliation to happen um that it feels like you're it's a it's a bit of a high wire act i think and a a bit of a dangerous game to play with your audience if you if you kind of constantly tease that and never deliver i mean it feels like a you know will they or won't they romantic pairing that's (laughs) true yeah yeah because episode nine and season one and season two are very similar in that way where they they just start getting along and then some misunderstanding tears them apart again right Exactly. Um, and I think there's only so many times you can go to that well. 
the flip side, of course, being that the conflict between them is the, you know, is some of the, the most fun that the show has. So, um, and a big draw of the show, I think. So, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's an ongoing discussion, like I said, and, and I, I think it's a, a really great, a really well-constructed moment, um, that they found at the end of season three and a really well-timed moment for them to come together. Um, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything here cause I think the guys are on record, um, about season four on that front already, but just because they've merged the dojo doesn't mean like everything's hunky dory from here on out. I, I don't yeah, think yeah. watching the show expects that they will no longer have any conflict of any kind. So uh, that's the trick of it. I think for the showrunners is like, um, you know, how to, how to make that ebb and flow work in a way that, that feels uh, organic to the characters and, and also feels like enjoy the most enjoyable version for the audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he- that that repetition even felt that uh, at the beginning of season three you know they they get together tango and cash and all of a sudden they're angry at each other again and they split split past and you were thinking at at the beginning of the season like oh great they're finally working together but and and so yeah it was very frustrating to see them uh split up but i i you know that then to kind of wrap it around to the end of the season is totally worth it (laughs) so yeah i really um thought that moment was was well directed too i mean um the writing of it i think was pretty much done in the in the breaking of it you know there wasn't a whole lot of extra layers i added to it or anything like that like they they kind of had that in the room you know how it was going to happen with walking in and bowing and the different um you know sort of duos standing beside each other and that sort of thing um but i i just love the direction and then the uh the song choice i thought was pretty great too Oh God! Yeah. In the air tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, what was that? There was one thing that I, there was a. Oh yeah, the the staging of it, and I'm I'm sure you're not really involved in where everybody's standing. That's all up to the director. But I noticed that uh, Daniel steps out onto a platform, and he's kind of looking down at his students, and uh, and he's and when Johnny walks up and stands next to him, he's not on a platform himself. He's uh, is that kind of a a tease of uh, how this new partnership is going to head into season four that perhaps Daniel might think that he's more in charge of uh, Miyagi Do than, or even whatever it's called now, Miyagi Fang. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, possibly uh, at least in Daniel's mind, that may be uh, how things are, but I don't think that um, uh, as I understand it, that backyard is a bit funky to shoot in just because they're, I think it's on a bit of a slope and there's all these features in there. And so I, I'm sure they had, you know, many discussions of, uh, you know, how to, uh, how to stage everyone. I know, I know we certainly wrote in the script, the pairings that you would see together. Um, yeah. but I, I don't think there was any intention. I I'm going to assume, and I wasn't there, but I'm going to assume that, um, it just, you know, logistics just dictated, uh, one being on a platform and one not that was, Certainly from my perspective in the script, uh, there was no intent in that. Right. And it's not like the camera really focuses on that, like Johnny looking up to Daniel or something and kind of right. scowling or something. You know? right. I've always thought that about the Miyagi back backyard. I'm like, there's there's like no like open area that's level or not. I'm like, that's a terrible place to train karate. <laughs> it does seem like uh, a lot more kids would sprain ankles in real life if they train yeah. than actually do. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's such a great callback to the movie, obviously. Um, and I don't know, you know, what they, 
you know, how that process developed in terms of designing it, because obviously it's not shot in the same spot. But uh, I, I do love the the use of it um, as a callback to the movie. Like when you see the the flashback of uh, Miyagi just finishing building it, um, you know, which was something that was never shot in the movie. Obviously, it was it was something that uh, they shot with a double on the show. Um, yeah. And then you crossfade to or you fade back into the present after, you know, Hawk and the boys have, have teepeed everything and, and you know, cut the, the heavy bag so everything spills out and all that. Um, I just, yeah, I just love that the, the connected tissue to the movies extends to the, you know, the sets with such detail. I was, watching sort Karate... of... oh, Sorry. I was watching Karate Kid 2 and 3 recently and I for- completely forgot about uh, the guest house that they build for Daniel. And I'm like, is that in Cobra Kai? Because it was like, when you come out the back, the back, entrance it was supposed to be immediately to the left or i guess you're right if you're coming out yeah I'm, there? I'm trying to remember it too I, I don't know if it's there on set or not um mm. and I, I honestly can't remember if we talked about it in the room um but yeah that was uh especially in three that you know yeah played such a part when uh when when daniel was officially adopted by <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> yeah his yeah. mom clearly was done with him <laughs> Well, she was helping out with Uncle Louis. So. <laughs> uh, so, okay, back up a little bit. We, we kind of cut all the way to the end, but uh, let's talk about Allie. Like, I, I think it's really great that you guys redeemed her character after the story we hear at the beginning of part two about their breakup. Like, was, were there any, like, major discussions about how to kind of fill in the blanks and, and show that, uh, you know, perhaps Allie was portrayed... <laughs> wrongly by daniel oh yeah for sure um i mean that's one of the first things we talked about with her and uh you know i i obviously i wasn't around uh during the writing or filming of karate kid 2 i don't know why those <laughs> yeah. were made but watching it and you know knowing that she was such a big part of um the first movie uh it was automatically jarring even as a kid i think you're just like what um, yeah and so uh, that was one of the one of the goals was to find a way to you know show her side of that story and we went around uh, a couple different times about uh, how exactly that would come to pass but the the overall um, goal I guess was always to make it like well Daniel's got his side of the story let's hear her side of the story and um, shed a bit more light on uh, you know what might have actually happened versus what Daniel's kind of you know teenage perception of what happened was, uh, and the car too, I, I always remember that was, we wanted to build a part of that into it, that, that he was the one who, <laughs> who was ultimately responsible for damaging the car. And of course, blame that on her as well. Um, you know, in his, uh, in his kind of post breakup pettiness or whatever. Right. And, and it's so funny. We just, uh, recorded the minutes where, um, Daniel confronts Allie at the arcade and, uh, and gets all mad at her and makes up all these stories about you know how she was like you know flirting with Johnny or whatever using Daniel or whatever and so covering those minutes and going over those minutes again it really made it makes sense why Daniel would make up this story because because right. he's just a hothead like the, this story that we hear in Cobra Kai like makes total sense <laughs> yeah so from a certain perspective, he is a little bit of a dick sometimes in the movies. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it's nice to acknowledge that. I, I sort of um, 
now that you mentioned that scene, uh, I, I've had moments uh, here and there over the past couple of years where I, I want to um, bring her two friends back that just fucking hated Daniel. Uh, pardon my... <laughs> Yeah. But like, they, they just thought he was such a, you know, piece of shit and, uh, and she could do so much better than him. Uh, I've always wondered what they would think of the car salesman version of Daniel if they're just like, oh, of course, that's what he became. <laughs> well, I, I heard in an interview on another uh, Cobra Kai podcast, Cobra Kai Companion, that the, the interview with the uh, counselor Blatt uh, actress, uh, she says that she is – uh, canonically, the younger sister of uh, Susan. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard that too, and I I can't remember if the guys confirmed that. I assume if you know she said it on a podcast that um, it's it's probably true, but I feel like it's never been explicitly stated in the series. Correct me if right. I'm wrong, but I, I don't remember any mention of them. No, it hasn't. No, just the fact that she went to school with them. That's the only thing has really been on the series itself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she clearly has, you know, a bit of lingering, uh, you know, crush-type feelings for him at the Halloween dance. Uh, <laughs> I've always wondered, you know, what, what the story is there. It was a, a fun little moment that kind of just existed in a vacuum and was never really addressed yeah. again, but maybe down the road. Uh, so so bringing Allie back in, like, it, we get this, you know, these great moments with Allie and Amanda – and it and it seemed kind of like such a like a fine line to walk between what happened after the Halloween dance in Karate Kid between Daniel and Johnny, and then kind of diminishing it with how Allie and Amanda talk about it in 2018. So right. it's like it's one thing to say like, oh, we were just dumb kids with a karate rivalry, versus like how Daniel nearly got murdered that night. <laughs> Did you guys kind of discuss at all about how kind of? I don't know. I, I always felt that maybe Daniel and Johnny were just kind of feeling awkward during that moment. Well, I, I will say um, just in general that uh, in the room, you know, I think part of this was just not knowing um, Elizabeth Shue's availability. They uh, originally wanted her to just be in episode 10. So there was sort of a different structure to the whole thing. And then, you know, I think they made a, a very wise choice when, um, you know, she ultimately came on board that if you're going to bring that character back, a character that important to the, the whole story and to Johnny and Daniel's relationship, um, you know, let's get at least two episodes out of it. Uh, yeah. So that's what led to the, you know, the whole episode nine, like the date at golf and stuff and all that. Or I guess it wasn't technically a date, but it sure felt like one. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I think that was all um, fantastic and, and the better way to go. Uh End result, though, was that, you know, there was some domino effects for the scenes of her in 10 that ultimately were different than what we had broken in the room. So I, I wasn't part of the discussion about, um, you know, a, a lot of that stuff. And the moment you mentioned specifically was new to me as well. So I, I don't know what the thinking or the discussion there was. Um, but, you know, I, I do feel like there every once in a while, I think we take a, a little bit of latitude with the retconning. Because you're right. I mean, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel at least got a concussion, even though right. Johnny uh, at one point says Bobby got a concussion from fighting Mr. Miyagi, which I, I think was also an Easter egg because the, the stunt performer, I think, connected with that actor. Right. Yes. Mess him up um, a little bit. But yeah, the, the idea that um, it, it was just like high school kids being kids doesn't exactly hold true when you watch the movie depending on you know your perspective um but it also you know it, it's a little bit 
harder to keep things light and to come back from um, that reality sometimes, which I, I think is true of the movie too, right? Because they they interact after that in the movie, and it's it's not it doesn't have that weight to it of like <laughs> we almost crushed your skull. <laughs> so you know, there's there's liberty taking taken in that regard, but uh, I think it, it you know better services the story if. Um, we can make their antagonism as, as uh, pointed as possible, but also as, um, you know, as light as it can be under the circumstances, you know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of, you, you mentioned retconning. So uh, is there anything you guys have specifically, like, um, deliberately retconned? Um, maybe not called it out, but you just, in your minds, you don't, you, you're like, oh, that probably didn't happen or whatever. Like, for instance, uh Johnny's saying, you're all right, LaRusso. We never see that in a flashback. Has that been retconned? <laughs> right. Well, that, that's the first thing that came to mind as you were asking that question. And I don't think, I don't think there's ever an intention to um, directly contradict the movies, but certain things, in order to make the, the show work, certain things in the movies, I think, have to be glossed over in favor of um, you know, relying a little more heavily on others. Uh, and that's certainly one of them, right? Because yeah. uh, as I think I've read um, in some interviews with Billy Zabka, you know, to him, he was like, his arc kind of came back around at the end of that movie with that line. And and so to make him, to make the series work where he still has, you know, unresolved feelings, shall we say, about the whole thing, yeah, you kind of have to ignore that moment in the movie <laughs> yeah. to some extent. Or at least tell yourself that it was like, just the emotion of, of the moment. And, and, you know, it, it's not how he really felt. That was uh, an- another thing he regretted later when he, when he really started playing the whole thing back in his head, he's like, no, you're the, not the bitterness right. set in. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he could always be like, yeah, I just got kicked in the head. Would, would, I don't think anybody expected me to talk normally or <laughs> rationally. <laughs> yeah, he, he was post concussed as well. <laughs> yeah. And so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't himself. Um, so I definitely want to thank you and the writers for not making Johnny and Allie actually have a romantic tryst. <laughs> I mean, especially just when he and Carmen finally get together. Was that ever a consideration that maybe Johnny and Allie at least have a kiss at the end of that big date or uh, even at the end of this episode? I'm sure it was. I mean, another example of something I, I just can't remember that well. I'm sure we batted that around. I'm sure we even batted around, you know, the, her and Daniel have a kiss. Yeah. Neil and Kumiko have a kiss, and you know, ultimately, in a, in a writers' room situation, you're going to be talking about, you know, every possible outcome, um, just to to hone down to the stuff that feels right for the characters. But um, when you know every option is available to you, you're, you're going to throw all of them out there and and see what feels right and what doesn't. Um, and so, I think ultimately the um, the Carmen and Johnny element of it was something that was added to, uh, you know, their arc for the season a little bit after the writer's room had wrapped. Hmm. Um, but I, I did really like how the, you know, the, how those two storylines sort of converged in a way where, you know, Johnny had to understand that like the past was the past. I can't remember what, what their, you know, Johnny and Allie have a discussion that lays this all out as he's waiting for his minivan. Um, yeah. And I can't remember the exact wording, but like that was the convergence of those two storylines. Um, and so I think it made sense that, you know, 
if that was the way things were going to go in terms of Johnny moving forward, uh, or at least, you know, living in the present, um, it, it would have been hard to, to get there if, if he and Allie had, had actually kissed in that moment at golf and stuff. I think it was a wise choice to, to sort of, you know, take them to the brink, but no further. Right. Uh, I mean, I even felt it was a little awkward when they were on this fun date at golf and stuff and feel the night is playing, which is a song that played during Daniel and Allie's date at golf and stuff. I was just like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> it's, yeah. this, that's Daniel and Allie's song. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't disagree, but I also think that, um, you know, Johnny is not, uh, Johnny is still growing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still growing up at 50, whatever. And, there is a ton of history there and a ton of baggage. And so I feel like um, him indulging in that moment is, is not something that um, is unforgivable to me for that character. And even if it is a little bit in that direction, um, I think that's okay because that's still who Johnny is as much growth as he's had over three seasons. Like he was kind of a piece of shit when we met him and he's not, done a complete 180 since then. So I think, I think it's okay for him to, you know, go down a, a road of, of sort of selfishness and self-involvement still. Um, the important thing is that, you know, he kind of catches himself before he goes too far. Yeah. And, uh, again, like the music really, I mean, whose idea was it to put, uh, open arms on, on the, the soundtrack <laughs> when Johnny and Allie are saying goodbye. I have no idea. That was, I'm sure that was decided either, you know, something they came up with on set or, or in post-production. Cause obviously there's a lot of input from the, the showrunners and we even have some input as far as like pitching song choices, but every show has like a whole, you know, music department uh, and yeah. a music supervisor that, uh, you know, that, that um, really steers the ship when it comes to that stuff. And uh, that, that also reminds me of, um, you know, just, just how much I love the score, the original yeah. score of the show and what a great job those musicians do. I, I don't know. I really don't know anyone's name that works on the show. <laughs> um, so I, I'm sorry I can't, you know, properly give them their due, but um, I just absolutely love the work they do. And we even got to see them before, you know, the pandemic shut everything down. They had a thing in LA where like kind of a concert where all those guys played, you know, the score from the show and, Billy Zabka even showed up and, and went on stage with them and, and played guitar with them. And uh, they closed it out with you're the best around. So that was a, uh, that was a pretty fun night as far as like the perks, the extracurricular perks of being on a show like Cobra Kai. I, I saw some of that video on Instagram. I, I think it was on their Instagram and uh, yeah, to see Billy Zabka playing his own theme on his guitar. Yeah. <laughs> that was really rad that's so cool that you were there for that <laughs> yeah it was a surprise uh you know I, I had no idea it was happening but just in the room one day they just uh mentioned it was going down and that we were all sort of like vip guests if we wanted to be and that's wow. not uh, this may surprise you robin but i don't get a lot of vip guest invites so <laughs> i can snack that one up well you're a vip of any podcast that i posted <laughs> so that's all I, that's all i was fishing for <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your yeah, badge I, is in the mail. Yeah. 
Well, he's got a whole gold suit that he earned on iZombie. It's a whole story. <laughs> well, now we get a golden badge, too. Uh, do we have to like construct like a, a some sort of golden karate gi for for him? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I, I would wear that in public for sure. <laughs> I I really love uh, a good needle drop on the show too. I mean, and I'm almost liking, you know, with open arms and in the air tonight. I'm almost liking like songs that weren't on the original Karate Kid soundtrack or you know any of the movies. Rather, you know, c- compared to. Uh, you know, feel the night. But then again, I'm also waiting for glory of love or you're the best around or the moment of truth to show up. So, <laughs> yeah, well, again, no spoilers and this may not happen, but we are uh, working on a song in that area uh, to be performed in season four at a pivotal point. So Ooh. hopefully that will come to fruition, though. I, I cannot guarantee it. You gotta okay. save those iconic songs for the right moments. <laughs> yeah, well, last year I remember, um, you know, the the uh, when we were breaking the dream or coma sequence for Miguel, where he's in the fight in his mind in in three hundred one. Um, originally, I I guess as we were discussing it, I was picturing like more of a full tournament scene with the fans and stuff, and of course, it you know didn't make sense that we would use all those resources for something that wasn't actually happening. Um, but I pitched you're the best around as, as the needle drop for that. And, uh, the guys said that, you know, we have, I think a moment in mind down the road that we're saving for that. Um, they didn't tell me what it was, but you know, clearly they, they have the same impulse that you do, That you know, let's, uh, let's hold that one back. Um, you know, for a moment where it just feels absolutely perfect. I, I think you'll be uh, delighted to hear that we came up with our own idea of the dojo that uh, the fighter is that Miguel is fighting in his coma. Yeah, what did from. you guys? What did you guys uh, refer to that that fighter as in the writers' room? I don't think we had any name for him. He was just <laughs> you know imaginary guy. We 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 we, we called him Komakai. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel versus Komakai. Komakai. I'm just picturing their logo. <laughs> just like a sleeping person. <laughs> guy, guy on a journey. <laughs> so, okay. So let's move over to the LaRusso house. Can you tell us, just just tell us everything about crafting that gigantic fight. I mean, how many beats were like written? I mean, how much is left for the stunt team to and, create? And first I need you to dispel a myth because I've heard that, that was a last minute decision and it was the original fight was going to be somewhere else outdoors and weather ruined it. I'm like, there's no way that's true because of all the like breaking furniture and stuff. No, that's true. I, I don't know. What? How, I don't know how last minute it was, but as broken and as written, it was in the backyard of, um, of Miyagi-Do. And uh, oh, wow. I, I think the, what you just said about the weather was a big part of it. Cause they, they shoot in Atlanta. And um, I think that would have been like, December, maybe January. I can't remember what the shooting schedule was for season three, but certainly like late fall or early winter. And so it was pretty cold. And um, I think that's the main reason they made that choice. I don't know if it was like. Okay. So it was the season. I, I was under the impression it was like, oh, it's raining. Let's, let's move the fight inside. <laughs> no. Although I will say like for a show set in LA, uh, it must be hard anytime it rains I think there's a moment where is it when Johnny and Daniel are picking up Robbie from the from Juvie when it's raining? Oh right, yeah. yes. Where you know the the part of me that 
you know, has now lived in LA for a little while was like, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> 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 you know, never rain. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it was. Um, uh, and I don't know exactly when they decided it, but we definitely did originally break it as, as taking place in the backyard and, and the uh, dojo of Miyagi-Do. So many sprained ankles. <laughs> yeah, well, it would have been a nightmare from a number of perspectives, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, okay, then it seemed like uh, the fight was, it, you know, the, you guys said, okay, there's a fight in the in the backyard. And then when they changed the location, the, what, like the stunt team uh, and the people on, on, on premises, like, have to come up with the ideas of the different ways to stage that fight? Did they have to craft a bunch of breakable furniture and stuff? Uh, I'm, I, you know, I have a limited amount of set experience in general, but um, I, I'm sure, you know, it was all breakaway glass or breakaway whatever. Um, and and as far as the, the staging of it, um, I mean, the, the stunt team uh, is incredible. Obviously, you see the results, and, uh, yeah. and I think they're nominated for... Is it Screen Actors Guild, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I just I just saw this recently, but and they've been nominated for other awards in the past, deservedly so, um, because the stuff they come up with is is just unreal. Um, I don't know how much again how much time they had to prepare, but I, I would be just blown away if that was a day before thing, because the you know there's certain things I'm certain elements I'm sure they could have come up with for the the backyard space that transferred to the house, but there's so much of the use of that space that um, is very specific and the way the, the whole one is shot, like you have to, you know, yeah. graph not only the, the kids in the fight, but like the camera and um, all the, the crew that's involved at the same time as well. So uh, amazing job. But I, like you guys, I, I was just a spectator with that. There's with any fight on the show, there's always, um, you know, an attempt in the script to at least give them like kind of the character points of view or, or moments that you want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, something like Dimitri's arm getting broken was obviously scripted and, and Sam's panic attack. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that it was kind of Mitch and Chris in that uh, laser tag arena who were, who were fighting each other was important. Um, but that, you know, the moves that they actually use on one another uh, are just so far out of my realm of, of expertise that, unless we're discussing something specific in the room and at length where it's like the, um, the paralyzer, uh, <laughs> you kind of just give like a shape to the rhythm of the fight and, 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 you know, who's lined up against who and, and at what points it looks like one person has got the other one's number and, uh, you know, how that gets reversed or whatever. Those big picture things we, uh, obviously like try to give some indication of, but the stunt team, you know, does all the, the hard work. Now, how about uh, discussing how the, uh, the smaller actors in the, in the in the show are treated? Nate gets pounded earlier in the season. Bert gets thrown through a window in this episode. Do you guys kind of enjoy shocking us with these tiny people being beaten so horribly? Or, <laughs> well, I, you know, again, not not calls that I make myself, but I mean, I feel like that's true to the movie, right? Because Daniel is this. For, for how big his mouth is, he, he is a little 90-pound weakling. Um, <laughs> or at least that's how it's, it's portrayed in the beginning. Um, so I think there's there's always the intent to, to stay true to the idea of bullies and, and the victims of bullies. Um, so the, you know, the bigger disparity you have in, in size or numbers or whatever the case may be, 
um, the more that, you know, kind of rings true, I think. Um, and I know that they love those two actors who I'm not positive about this, but I, I think at least Bert was just, you know, an extra to start and then became, you know, was given a line or two and then became a, you know, a character. Um, mm. And so I think the, the idea that the two smallest guys just like hate each other so much. <laughs> I hope uh, they come up with some like tag team attacks that make them, you know, as efficient as the one normal size kid. <laughs> <laughs> Like, put one on the other shoulders of the trench coat. Yes. 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 Uh, well, that may or may not be happening in season four. We'll have to see. <laughs> I'd, I'd also like to see, like, speaking of background ac- actors, like, I think there's some actors that have been in the Cobra Kai dojo. I think one of them's, I think his character's name might be Johnson or something. The guy with the, the uh, braids. braids. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I think he's been there since the very beginning. He had... He's had no lines <laughs> and I'd love to hear from these characters who have been around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the trick I think with our show, with a lot of shows, when you world build the way that the show has and um, you know, you'll hear the, the uh, showrunners in interviews say all the time that um, you know, they get most excited sometimes for the one line that they give Lynn or the one line they give, um, you know, Brooks or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on the flip side, like as much as that gives your world, you know, sort of new angles and a bit of new flavor, um, you also still only have 10 episodes of like half hour, 35 minutes to address all of your major characters. True. Plus you want to give time to your minor characters. So the more that, <laughs> the more you go down that road, the more problems you're kind of causing for yourself in terms of like. Um, how are we actually going to get this done in the time we have and on the budget we have? Um, okay. But I know we we do talk about we talk about the backstory for the red head brothers all the time. Yeah, um, yeah good. that was my next question. Are they brothers? I heard they're brothers. Uh, I I think in real life they are. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, in the show, I don't think we've said one way or the other. Okay, because that would be a really cool dynamic: one brother in Cobra Kai, one brother in Miyagi Do. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that um, mostly, you know, for a sort of a comedic element. Um, it's just, again, it's just one of those things where you wish you had thirteen episodes or yeah, yeah, or whatever. It's not, it's just not what we have. Um, Spinoff time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, this college thing, like. <laughs> it's not unreasonable to think that uh, like 30% of these kids end up at USC. <laughs> right. Well, I love the idea that, you know, if there were brothers that were on different dojos, just all of a sudden having a scene of their home life, just like this huge high drama, high stakes between these dojos. Then they come home and they're, they have to behave at dinner for mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that once in, in the sense of like, maybe a cold open where we just see this uh, redheaded middle-aged man or woman that we've never met before. And they're just pissed off because they have to pick up their kids after school. But because the kids can't get along, you know, what, what should be just one pickup turns into two pickups halfway across the Valley in LA traffic. And it's just <laughs> the moment when the parent just snaps and says, you, you have to, you know, join the same dojo or quit karate because this is bullshit. <laughs> uh, okay, how about how about this? I mean, again, you're not as involved with the staging of the fights, uh, but I mean, it, I noticed in the the huge fight at the La Russa home, 
that Miguel, like he he's recovering from a back injury. Yet Kyler like drops him on his back on the couch, and then there's one point where he has him up against the wall, and he's just sitting there wailing into his back. <laughs> Was yeah. that intentional at all, or? I, I, again, I, I don't know. I, the one thing that I think was intentional was we wanted to see something that made the audience feel like, oh, fuck his back. Yeah. And then have him come out of it fine so that we know going forward, like he survived that thing that we were scared of that, you know, that he was scared of in uh, some of the earlier episodes when he couldn't kick the Frisbee properly and that sort of thing. Um, so I, it, there was an intent there for sure. And I think that's what the, the flip that you mentioned um, maybe was trying to address. those kidney punches that went on for like 30 seconds. I don't know what the discussion was there. I will tell you when I was watching it, I was like, this is excessive. He's going to be peeing blood for like months now. (laughs) But, you know, I think there was the, I I would imagine there was, you know, the the impetus of like, what can we do that uh, sort of ramps this up, but also holds him in place long enough to have the flashback. Um, because that's when the flashback occurs, if memory yeah. serves. Uh, so I think that was probably like the the guiding force or whatever of how they were going to do that. But yeah, I, I had the same chuckle at just how much internal organ damage was happening in those <laughs> thirty seconds. Yeah. Um, what about uh, Hawk and his uh, face turn? What do you think in his mind uh, finally cemented his uh, turning away from Cobra Kai? Uh, I think there was a few things. I mean, we certainly tried to seed, you know, that turn or, or plant the seeds for that turn uh, throughout the back half of the season, starting with, you know, he has a certain look on his face after he breaks Dimitri's arm and everyone on Cobra Kai is congratulating him and calling him a badass. And you see it the next day in school, too, when Miguel comes back. Um, and I think he's just such a I mean, I find Hawk such an interesting character because he's he's got so much inner turmoil going on and such a, a, you know, ongoing up and down identity crisis that I don't think he knows which, which end is up sometimes. And I think that's, what's going on at the, in the back half of, um, of the season where, uh, you know, crease is making changes at the dojo and Robbie's coming in and his, you know, former, well, his former best friend in Dimitri, but also his like sort of karate compatriot in Miguel uh, you know, are both kind of on the other side or, or decidedly on the other side. Um, I think it's all this, you know, this conflict is brewing for the back half of the season. And then when he sees his teammates, um, you know, holding Dimitri in a very similar position in, in the house fight as they were in the laser tag arena. Um, I, I think it just all like crystallizes for him where he's like, I'm on like, I'm on the wrong side. It's that old, I can't remember what this reference to, but there, there's some old cartoon or something with, um, you know, guys in Nazi uniforms. Yeah. It's uh, it's some sort of movie. Yeah. It's like a guy it's in Peep, Nazi isn't it a uniform. Peep show? Peep show? Where he goes, are we the baddies? Right. Yeah. I mean, people have referenced it so many times in like, since I've been working uh, in television and I, I've never seen the original thing. So I never know what they're referring to, but <laughs> Me neither. Uh, yeah. I've just seen the gif. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, you get the idea either way. And, and I think that was the moment where that crystallized for Hawk. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess some people were just worried that he was doing a face turn for the wrong reason. Like he's just like joining, uh, Miyagi-Do and them because, uh, he was no longer top dog at Cobra Kai and he was jealous. So he's like, so fine, I quit. <laughs> but right. 
Yeah, I could see that perspective as well. Um, I, I think, you know, sometimes with uh, some of these these moments where, like, you don't get the opportunity to have an explicit, you know, kind of debrief or explanation coming out of the character's mouth, which, you know, A, I don't think would have just fit in the momentum of, of the finale, and B, you know, it is one of the things that may have just been a casualty of, of you know, page count or episode length. Um, but sometimes you you know, you kind of have to leave it a little bit vague just because you don't have the, the time to dedicate to making some of their choices explicit. Um, but I will say, I think that, uh, I mean, I think all the, the young actors are, are pretty fantastic. Um, but since we're talking about Hawk, I think um, the actor who plays in Jacob uh, just does so much with his facial expressions, you know, like you can really yeah. read a lot into what, uh, you know, what, what kind of turmoil he's going through just by the look on his face sometimes, which is a, a pretty nice and efficient uh, weapon to have in your arsenal as an actor, I would assume. So, okay, let's get into the final fight, <laughs> the, the big the big one at the end. Uh, now, now, there's so much Star Wars in Cobra Kai, and, yeah. and it's funny, I was immediately thinking about that when you, we were talking about Miguel and him flashing back. Really, it's him hearing Johnny's voice in his head, almost like uh, Obi-Wan. And now in this final fight, we see... Uh, Anakin fighting the emperor for the soul of Luke <laughs> and, and he loses. I, I, I just, I wasn't sure. Am I reading too much of that? Are you guys inspired by star Wars? Oh no. Star Wars is, uh, I would say the most discussed, um, you know, other property in our room. Um, Game of Thrones was up there. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of Rocky, uh, brought up, but Star Wars, I think, leads the way. And so, yeah, there's always talk about, um, you know, Anakin's turn and uh, the Emperor, you know, fighting uh, like Darth Vader and, and Luke fighting in front of the Emperor and all that stuff. Um, I feel like I've mentioned the showrunners a hundred times and not said their names, so I'll say them now. But uh, Hayden Schlossberg is one of them. And I mean, he is he's my age and he, I think still has like the the same fascination with star wars that he had when he was a kid um so he gets giddy when he talks about it uh he also brings up rocky as much as anyone i've ever met except for me um which at one point led one of the other showrunners josh healed to threaten uh, physical violence if if hayden brought up rocky one more time um and then john Hurwitz, the other showrunner uh, often plays the diplomatic peacemaker but because the three of them know each other so well, I feel like every once in a while, just to amuse himself, John actually eggs them on further. So we have a, we have a fun dynamic uh, in the room with those guys, and especially when it comes down to comparing Karate Kid to Star Wars um, and Rocky and Game of Thrones. Uh, but yes, that, that was certainly discussed, and there are many other moments throughout the, the two seasons I've worked on the show where you know turning to the dark side and all that stuff has been... Uh, brought up as a analogy to whatever we're we're doing right i mean robbie's uh ultimate turn on on uh johnny it really feels very like anakin's turn to the dark side like he the way his 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 entire face changes it seems you know when he's yeah. uh, saying like you're the enemy now luckily there was no younglings around yeah <laughs> Well, if you stayed in juvie longer, you know, that may, that may have been what I I also really love the the evil smile he gives uh, Sean when they're both, you know, flat on the ground getting right after yeah. whatever. Right? I thought that was such a, such a perfect little moment for him. 
Oh yeah, with the blood trickling out of his mouth. Yeah. 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 So once we start seeing the uh, the side blade, I'm I'm thinking somebody's gonna get hurt. I mean, I was honestly on the edge of my feet, seat thinking Crease was going to get maybe killed accidentally, or that Johnny was gonna end up being the one sent to the hospital at the end of this season. But um, Crease does try to kill Johnny before Daniel intervenes, and then he tries to kill Daniel. I mean, are you ever worried? Are you guys ever worried about the the show getting way too dark, or you know, way too? <laughs> Uh, violence <laughs> even <laughs> um i don't know uh, i i really sort of trust the um the gauge that the the showrunners have on that um and i think you know there there's certainly uh it's it's easy enough to imagine that somebody could have died in that fight um you yeah. know there's certainly a lot of indicators that that's the way it was going and uh, you know, the fact that it never, like, nobody ever takes that swing. I think at some point, Kreese, like, butt-ends Johnny to knock him out when he has the sign in his hand. Yeah. And, and that feels like a choice on his part. You know, their their relationship is so interesting that, you know, Kreese keeps kind of, like, bending his own code for Johnny. I think there's two or three times where he, he says, this is, you know, your last chance to come back to Cobra Kai. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, like, he means something to him. Daniel, I think he just fucking hates. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he <laughs> yeah. haunts him in season two when they run into each other outside the convenience store about, you know, his dead sensei. It's <laughs> so awful. Um, so I think there is certainly that level of animosity there. And as you've seen from Kreese's backstory, um, I mean, he's killed with his bare hands before. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a line he can cross. Um I'm not, you know, I'm not going to predict what's going to happen in the show down the road, but I would be very surprised if anyone ever truly crossed that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels to me like it's it's that balancing act we were talking about earlier that, like, you want to make the stakes as high as possible um, while still existing within the believability of the of the show. Um, and of course, the show's believability exceeds, you know, our reality. Um, but it's always a question of like, are we, you know, how far can we push that envelope before we just rip it to shreds? Yeah. I mean, Kreese is strangling Johnny, uh, before Daniel intervenes. Was he just trying to like put him to sleep or was he actually trying to kill him? I I don't know. I, I, I I feel like that's open to interpretation. Um, uh, cause I think, uh, for me anyway, that hold could accomplish either. And if you, you know, if you're looking at, the uh, some of the 80s martial arts movies that we sometimes reference that would be the moment where like bolo young would snap a guy's neck uh, <laughs> yeah. crease does not do so if you want my my personal opinion and it's, it's just a guess or a theory but i think he was just trying to choke him out um whereas daniel i think he was gonna stab him with that glass until he bled to death right I wonder I wonder how how the character would handle like oh I just killed someone there's a body there's blood like does he like you know pull a breaking bad dissolve daniel you know what does he do? <laughs> Yeah I mean uh, I've seen people mention this online too but there's uh, a good chance that Bert could have died from being thrown through that window <laughs> Oh yeah anytime anybody goes through glass yeah Yeah so I you know who knows what's going on in these in these kids or adults heads when they're uh, when they're taking these chances but um, I, I do love how I mean 
the stakes, you know, can, can swing a bit too, right? Like Miguel falling off that balcony and getting paralyzed felt like everyone reacted like, holy shit, this, this is a, a, you know, a huge escalation and made things way darker. Um, but at the same time, you know, Tori was there with her, with her spiky bracelet trying to, uh, do God knows what to Sam's face. And I feel like that one's a bit, you know, a bit more over the top and a bit more arch and yet they can exist within the same, you know, within the same context and not feel like either is a a departure from, you know, the tonal reality of the show. Mm -hmm. I was really happy that season three gave Johnny and Daniel both like huge heroic moments. Uh, and, and that even is followed up in the finale where Johnny's fighting for his son and then Daniel coming in out of nowhere. I mean, that was, that was a stand up and cheer moment for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, so I don't know. I just, I, I, I thought, especially for Daniel, I felt that he had gotten a lot of, uh, the kind of the, I mean, he did have the fight on the beach in, I think, season two, yeah. but he hasn't been so involved in the action. And I'm, I wasn't sure if that was a, uh, a directive for the season. Like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, Ralph wants, wants more action, wants Daniel to be more heroic. I, don't, I wasn't sure. If I don't want to was... just kick Boba. <laughs> yes, yes, I don't want to kick a drink. <laughs> um, well, like I said earlier, um, you know, I, I don't know what discussions maybe they've had behind the scenes, but I, I certainly never heard anything about that specifically. Um, I would say, from a creative standpoint, from you know the discussions I can remember, there was obviously like this build where you know in season one, Daniel, you know, certainly was still um, honoring that part of his life, but it had been a while since he put the gi on. Um, and, and certainly a long time since he'd actually used his karate against anyone. So there was like a conscious, uh, you know, decision to build up to that. Um, and then there's also like the ethos of Miyagi-Do is, is, you know, um, don't get into a fight if you don't have to and karate is for defense only. And so I, I think he was trying to sort of hold his hot headed, um, tendencies at bay and stay true to Miyagi-Do um, for, you know, as long as he could kind of stand it. And then every once in a while, just that, uh, you know, that that need to get into a fight, whether it was because he was being attacked or defending somebody or because he was just at the end of his rope. Um, I, I think there was a, you know, a necessary build to get him to that place because he didn't start uh, where Johnny started. He started in a place of, yeah. of much greater contentment. Whereas Johnny is always skin tight, ready to fight. So, you know, give him more, uh, you know, moments where he just solves his problems with his fists first um, kind of makes sense. And now you see like with Daniel, as he gets more immersed into, uh, you know, his, his old ways, both in terms of the karate and in terms of some of his, his temper issues. Um, I think he, you're just, it's more likely that you're going to see him, um, you know, fire off shots every now and again, and especially with crease back in the picture. I mean, that's a whole new, whole new ball game for him. Um, you know, especially with what goes down this season. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and it's so interesting and I could see this kind of paying up, paying into uh, season four a little bit, how the escalation of conflict that Daniel's been, you know, directly involved with physically, 
uh, escalates so much that in the finale, I mean, he comes to a very close <laughs> a finishing moment. And even John, Johnny steps out and just kind of gives him a nod. Like, go ahead, do it. Yeah, uh, that wasn't going to be a honk. Right. Nope. I can see that having some sort of repercussions uh, psychologically for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, you know, the crux of what he's dealing with, at least on one side of things. I mean, obviously, he's got, you know, the whole issue with uh, with Sam. um, That's kind of first and foremost, but um, from a strictly individual or or personal perspective, um, you know, you you guys have uh, obviously seen Karate Kid 3 recently by (laughs) by our earlier discussions. So, you know, that. Um, he does have that side of him and it's something that I think he's going to wrestle with more and more as these, you know, sort of challenges get thrown his way. And the influence of Johnny, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's so, uh, it's so fun to see them, you know, moving in the other's direction every now and again, only to pull back even harder um, and obviously with them, uh, you know, sort of merging the dojos and becoming, um, you know, co-senseis, I guess, of a sort going forward, um, we'll see, you know, how much that that blending of styles uh, takes for these two guys who are so deeply entrenched in their, you know, in their own individual roots. I can't like wait to see how... Uh... I can't wait to see how Miyagi Fang does things. <laughs> yeah, Miyagi Fang. That's, that's what we called it in the room as well. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Karate Kid is all about balance, so it's really cool that we are going into season four with the two of them trying to balance each other out, maybe. Uh, yeah, and how amazing, I mean, just looking looking over both these episodes, I just uh, I was struck with how amazing it is that you know, you being a person that, you know, grew up on Karate Kid is directly involved with crafting the episodes where Daniel bows to his old enemies as uh, equals, yeah. <laughs> chosen and then Johnny. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those um, movies, I guess, you know, because to me, the original was so uh, iconic. And then the sequels, uh, you know, for me, had diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's a, a hot take. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's a movie that, um, it just has such cultural resonance resonance so long after the fact. Um, so it, on the one hand, it's like, it's completely surreal that this is where I ended up, you know? Um, yeah. at the same time, uh, I would say that, you know, uh, one of the, the biggest joys of, of working on the show and, and I do love, you know, all the sort of callbacks and, reflections and and Easter eggs and all that stuff, but just kind of building the new characters within the parameters of, you know, like the, the same sort of like theme and, and ideas that were, you know, such a big part of the original movie. Um, but then applying them to characters that live in a different world and, and just generally have different, you know, sort of problems and are coming at it from different angles has been like a, a fun little puzzle to try and, and piece together or work out. Um, but yes, there, there are certainly moments where I'm like, I, I remember, you know, like seeing this movie as a kid and getting goosebumps when the crane kick worked. Yeah. Uh, and, and I got goosebumps again when that song came on and they bowed to each other, even though like I clearly knew well ahead of time that it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's trippy. I mean, when you're in it, you don't think much about, 
you know, that, that sort of meta element or, or I don't know, like just the, the personal part, I guess, uh, of, of, of how it's all going down and just kind of think of, uh, you know, the job you have to do and the people you're working with and, and whatever. But, um, when it came out on Netflix and I actually just got to watch it, like, uh, you know, I would watch anything else on Netflix. It was definitely, um, you know, pretty kind of goosebumpy experience all around and only, mm-hmm. only amplified by the fact that, you know, the other stuff that I've worked on, um, I certainly know a few people in my life that, that, you know, had watched it, um, or were fans on a regular basis, but, uh, I was getting messages from people I haven't talked to in forever who, you know, just found me on Facebook and saw my name on it and, uh, and reached out just to say that's so cool or whatever. Um, and that's, that's kind of crazy, you know, that you can get into this industry and and have that sort of experience, even though you have no talent whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I disagree. I disagree. What what, what character do you uh, enjoy writing for the most? Do you think? Oh, I I mean, Johnny has license to say certain things that are a lot of fun to write. Um, you know, because he, he was painted right off the bat as a guy who just doesn't understand what's appropriate and what isn't anymore. Um, so that's great. Uh, I do, I do love Amanda, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, just because she has that, she's like the the one sane person in the nut house. (laughs) And so that's pretty fun. Uh, Every once in a while, you know, I, I get a, a line or two for Anthony, which is always fun because he's such a, <laughs> uh, and he like just such a smart ass. Also, couldn't give a shit about karate. Just, <laughs> just wants to insult his family any chance he has. Um, so that's always great. But do you know, do you do you know if they have any like end goal for that character, uh, or or is he always just meant to be a periphery? Uh, I don't know about end goal. I, I know there's more for him to come. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think I mentioned Brux earlier. Um, I wrote some stuff for Brux that didn't uh, ultimately make it into the episodes just because there was no room for the uh, the scenes that he was a part of. But uh, him and Kyler, uh, also just such dicks. And, you know, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier, like most of the characters get some sort of redeeming backstory or, or point of view. Uh, I feel like they don't, although it's hard not to feel sorry for Brux when a Hawk tries to murder him. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kyler and, and Brux are fun because they're just such dicks. And then one of my, <laughs> my favorite lines of the first two seasons was when I think it was, yeah, it was season one when they're in the library and Kyler and Brux are fucking with Miguel and Dimitri and Hawk or Eli at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Brux corrects Kyler's grammar when he. <laughs> I just love that so much, um, and I and I wish there was more of him, but unfortunately, uh, he no longer has a face. So oh. <laughs> it was beaten right off. Oh, uh, destroyed! If you got this, uh, if you got like one more episode mid season three, let's say, what story would you have liked to have spent more time in? What would you have liked to elaborate more? Um, it's a good question. Uh, maybe a little more of, um, Carmen and Johnny, hmm. uh, cause I really like them together. And I guess in a similar way to you mentioning earlier that like, you know, the rehab, uh, seems to happen quickly for Miguel's injury. Um, I did think that the rehab of their relationship happened a bit quickly too. 
Uh, and so a little more, a little more time spent with them, um, I think would have been fun. And I also, you know, I, I really like seeing that side of Johnny that, that sort of, um, like he's a little bit, uh, more nervous and insecure with her. Uh, and I, and I like that as a counterpoint to the guy he is, you know, especially when he's, he's with Daniel or the kids, he's so, uh, you know, kind of sure of himself, uh, to, to a fault, um, and I, I like with her that it's a different side of him. So I always enjoy seeing the two of them together. And I think the uh, actress who plays Carmen is, is wonderful as well. So, Oh, also Rosa. I always uh, wish. <laughs> <there'd be> Rosa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there will be a scene. I mean, you never know what's going to get, um, you know, left on the cutting room floor or whatever, but there's a Johnny Rosa scene in season four that I wrote that may be my favorite thing I've ever done. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I hope it's. I hope it stays in. Uh, so, were there any uh, actual? You know, speaking of, I mean, were there any deleted scenes that got cut out of season three? Uh, you know, either shot or just scripted that uh, you wished maybe could have stayed in, or something memorable, even just to mention. Uh, I'm sure there were. I mean, I, I know for a fact that there were, just because the whole, um, you know, the whole process is. Uh, you know, building something up and then seeing the holes in it and, and kind of reconfiguring things. So a lot of stuff got rearranged uh, throughout the course of the writer's room process and then, um, you know, throughout production as well. I can't quite remember anything specific off the top of my head, though. I mean, I, I know we cut some stuff with, sorry, as, as we were uh, discussing earlier, like the world building is a double-edged sword. And so there there was certainly stuff with some of those characters that um, are recurring, but, but rare or more rare um, mm. that I just thought was super fun that got cut. I think there was, um, if I'm remembering right, I think there was something with Louie that uh, ended up getting pushed and I, he had a few good scenes uh, throughout the season. It was fun to see him back. But um, as I recall, there was a, there was a couple things with him that just, you know, because you need to spend your time on on the main storyline sometimes, so you don't necessarily have room for the the uh, the stuff that's maybe a, a little less important to the overall show, but uh, also a ton of fun. Sometimes right. those deleted scenes are great, though. I, like you said, you weren't around during season one, but did you see the uh, the Master Todd cutscene? No, what was that? Oh, okay. It's uh, it's where he's a uh, where um. Uh, Johnny's trying to it's when he's advertising his dojo with flyers and stuff and he goes by an MMA dojo and they're wrestling around on the ground yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, he tries to poach some of the students and the uh, the sensei comes out or I guess they call him the master his students call him master Todd and one of his students happens to be a, a black guy <laughs> and uh, so uh, so he gets into it with uh, with Johnny and then Johnny's like, well, at least I don't make make the, the black guys call me master. <laughs> oh, wow. And then uh, and then he leaves and uh, uh. and and Todd's like, uh, yeah, get out of here. And then the guy's like, you tell him, Master Todd. And he's like, you know what? Just Todd's OK. <laughs> yeah, I, I was unaware of that, but um, I. I the one thing about Netflix that I don't know if um, if this is the case for all shows or whatever, but I mean, back when, you know, you could get seasons of a show on DVD or whatever, you had access on the same menu to all that stuff. And now I don't know where that stuff goes. Like, is it just yeah. something people I find? Think this was from the, I think this was from a DVD release. I'm pretty sure they, they released it physically. Oh, okay. Well, I look forward to more of that um, because I, you know, 
I always enjoy uh, the scenes that don't make it, and then the the wondering of uh, you know what was why was that choice made? Was it purely out of time, or was it you know perhaps in the case of the example you just threw out there that it was a bit um, a bit touchy? Yeah, right. I'm not sure the reason they cut it if it was that or but yeah. I just I just linked it if you want to watch it later. <laughs> okay, I'll do that for sure. Um, so uh, I think Matt, you put this question in. You want to answer, ask this one? <laughs> oh, uh, I lost the page. <laughs> oh, it, well, it's are you a fan of Karate Kid Three and Terry Silver? Oh, yeah. And uh, what would you like to do with that character? <laughs> <laughs> if, if given the chance. Uh, well, I like I said before, uh, you know, I've watched all these movies recently many times. Um, I don't remember if I even saw Karate Kid 3, like back when it came out. Uh, but I, I certainly have seen a lot of it now. And, uh, you know, um, that character is as over the top as it comes. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's a fun character, but also... Uh, a character that that feels a little bit past the reality of, of you know our world. Uh, mm. Other people may not agree with that. They they may think our world has has gone um, you know to to that level of absurdity already. Uh, but I think we're still a bit more grounded than that. So um, <laughs> it would be interesting uh, if Terry were to come back to see you know what that guy has been up to for the last thirty five years. And if, like Chosen, you know, he had a inflection point, you know, based off of those events that led him in a new direction, um, either for, for good or for bad. Uh, I'd also like to know what happened with uh, Dynatox and their uh, their issues with, I believe it was the Burmese government. <laughs> yeah. Are, um, like, toxic waste supervillains even a thing anymore? Yeah. Well, I, I, I could... Certainly believe that um, if there were an introduction to Terry Silver uh, in our world, and we really wanted to, go, you know, go go way out there, uh, his toxic waste dumps led to something like Godzilla or the X Men, <laughs> uh, mm. and then we'd really expand our world and 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 all kinds of material for down the road. That's what makes sense to me, based off of Karate Kid Three. <laughs> he's very much a comic book villain. Um, who he is, but I love him. Dedicates so much of his time and resources to this <laughs> destroying this eighteen-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, you've been super awesome with your time tonight. I've got we got a few more questions for you, and then we'll let you go. And these are basically asking about season four, and you can just say no comment or whatever. Um, so, uh, how about uh, the fact that uh, I mean, just even how many episodes did you personally get uh, to uh, have a story by or teleplay by credit for, for season four? Can you reveal that? Same as last year. I got assigned five and 10. Ooh, awesome. That's so great. Um, geez, I just wrote down, can you give us anything? But I, <laughs> that's, that's a very uh, broad question. Uh, how about this? Uh, given that, Seasons two and three take place in 2018, and the next tournament's going to be in May 2019. Has yeah. there ever been any talk about how the Cobra Kai universe is going to handle the pandemic, or if it, even if it will? Uh, I think we've punted that issue. I mean, it's certainly brought up, 
Um, mm-hmm. I think we sort of punted that issue now because, like you said, our, our calendar is behind, you know, the actual calendar. Um, so we don't have to deal with it this season. Uh, you know, hopefully the, the show is on long enough that we uh, at least, you know, would theoretically get to that point. Uh, we joke about all the time how, like, we'll just skip a year or two uh, <laughs> and pick up with the story post-pandemic. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing for any show, and I, I, I don't envy the people that have to make these decisions because uh, it's, it's, I mean, what do you do, right? Like, on the one hand, you address it, and then if you want to address it properly, that probably means really altering the look of your show uh, yeah. and, and the actors on it. Um, and the other is, like, you don't address it, um, which makes things easier in that sense, but also, uh, you know, is a strange sort of lack of acknowledgement um well has any has any show acknowledged the pandemic though i don't think so oh yeah there's been a few shows that have premiered that have people are wearing masks really like a like a scripted show yeah like i think gray's anatomy um Mm -hmm. i don't currently watch but uh did back in the good old izzy days um (laughs) i think that show uh has addressed it quite directly and I think I heard something about, um, I want to say it was NCIS or NCIS New Orleans or one of them. Um, so I know there's like a few, uh, it seems like the procedurals are more yeah. likely to go in that direction. Whereas the serialized shows, um, I don't know of any so far that have, that have acknowledged it. I, I actually watch uh, the 911 shows and they, they are acknowledging it and they're using masks. But I think one of my big gripes is like, Okay, you're wearing masks. It doesn't mean that you have to mic a person do, saying dialogue while they're wearing a mask. If there's a mask, it's total opportunity to use ADR for the entire thing. So you can actually hear people clearly, but still show and respect that they're wearing masks and, you know, respecting the pandemic and all that. So just sound like Bane when they do that? Or what? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, there's, there's ADR, but then there's like ADR, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Take back your city. <laughs> yeah. uh, so since season three was uh, delayed and then and, you know, now season four is just getting started uh, filming. I mean, is there any talk about how to accommodate for some of these kids looking older? Well, I think there's a, you know, general understanding that um, some of them have to graduate soon because it's getting uh, the gap between their actual ages is accelerated versus the show. Right. Because the show is has always kind of picked up where it left off, um, but not always, or not ever, I don't think occurred over, or the season hasn't spanned, a, you know, a calendar year within the show. So uh, it's it's the McConaughey and Dazed and Confused, like the actors keep getting older, but the characters stay the same. <laughs> so, um, I think everyone knows that's an issue. And at some point um, they'll have to move on from high school. Um, I, I don't think we're quite there yet and, and who knows what they have in mind for season five, but I feel like, um, they're all still juniors in high school now. So we'll get at least one more season of, uh, West Valley high. And then from there, who knows? It can be one of those shows that successfully, uh, transitions its characters to college like Buffy. Is that what happened in Buffy? Because I was about to ask if you had an example. Of, of <laughs> yeah, and the first the, Buffy went seven seasons. The first three seasons were high school. Season four was college, and then she kind of just kind of out. They ignored college <laughs> after that. <laughs> uh, is uh, 
Anthony LaRusso, uh, secretly the real Karate Kid of this uh, series, that that he's he's the uh, thing that's in the background that's going to come out and be the star he's, of the show by the end. He's the secret weapon? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of candidates, I feel like, for who you could say is, is the Karate Kid of this show. Um, and I certainly think there's a... An, an impulse or a, you know, an effort that's going to be made going forward to bring new kids and, and replenish the ranks, uh, you know, as, as we go along, uh, whether or not Anthony ever embraces karate, um, I can't say, but, uh, in a show about karate where his dad is a karate icon, um, it seems like 50, 50, at least. <laughs> right. Uh, I, okay. Well, I guess Matt, do you have any other questions before I, I drop our final question? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, well, every time uh, somebody guests on our podcast, um, and especially in light of Cobra Kai and How I Met Your Mother and countless uh, YouTube theories, uh, we always ask our guests, uh, "Do you consider?" Daniel LaRusso to be the antagonist of the original movie, the karate kid. And, uh, and I, and I love how in season three, uh, there is a bit of reference to is Daniel being called the real bully. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I think the real bully was Allie's dad, to be honest. <laughs> he I was think, terrorizing her mom. I mean, if you really dig into the backstory of Johnny and Allie's relationship that existed prior to the movie, there's all kinds of shit that happened between them that really made Johnny uh, the, the man that he was. And it can all be traced back to uh, Mr. Alley. What is Alley's last? Mills. Mr. Mills. Mills. Yeah. Uh, no, I certainly don't think that Daniel is the real antagonist. Um, all due respect to uh, Barney Stinson. Was that his name? Yep. Brother? I'll do respect to him. Um, very clearly, uh, Daniel was the hero of the Karate Kid. And uh, whether that's a commentary on, um, you know, what what happens to heroes going forward, because I would argue that Daniel's not necessarily the same kind of guy by the time this show starts. I don't trace it back personally to Daniel was always the asshole. Uh, I think sometimes success too early in life turns you into an asshole and or car salesman. <laughs> I, or, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, I'm so glad. And that is something I totally believe in. And I constantly uh, force our guests to acknowledge. So I'm glad I didn't have to make the extra effort for you. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, uh, Bob Dearden, thank you so much for coming on to Karate Kid Minute. And I really do hope uh, we get you back. We want you to earn that entire golden gee. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for being very generous with your time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good, and I apologize to you guys and your listeners for rambling and starting so many answers without any idea what I actually wanted to say. Um, <laughs> but that's just that's just how I talk. It is what it is. <laughs> no, no, I definitely appreciate it. And that was entertaining. Uh, is there anything I mean besides Cobra Kai uh, that you wanted to plug, or maybe a place where people can reach you at all, or anything like that? No, I, I don't do a whole lot of social media. Um, thank you for offering, but um, I'm pretty content to just be a hermit otherwise. So um, I'll stick with that. And as far as anything else to plug, hopefully down the road. But um, at the moment, I'm still working on the the 410 script for, for Cobra Kai. Mm. Uh, 
And so that's got all of my attention outside of the uh, couple hours a day I spend walking my dog. So you're still working on it. Um, is there any you know possibility that you'd like Matt and I to consult you on this at all? Just, <laughs> just like, a, like a point of reference, like what are the what do the fans really want? <laughs> uh, I would love to, but for legal issues, uh, legal reasons, I must slightly decline. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bob Dearden, everybody, uh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you uh, next week for whatever minute that we're on for the podcast. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, guys.